together with you. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs tonight, chapter 4. We're going to begin a series tonight that I hope um, we're going to go through the month of January and, and February. I have to miss one, one Wednesday in February, but uh, there'll be seven times I get a chance to speak to you. And uh, it's always a thrill and a privilege for me to be able to be with you. Uh, you don't see us most Wednesday nights, but we're over with our deaf in, uh, in a room off to the side, and we do a deaf Bible study every Wednesday. I must tell you, the deaf are slightly rebellious. Uh, when the church changed from 7 o'clock on Wednesdays to 7.15, the deaf said, we want to stay at 7. So whether you know, we start 15 minutes earlier than you at 7 normally on Wednesday nights, so I appreciate them adjusting to come over at 7.15 uh, they'll have to sleep in tomorrow an extra 15 minutes. Have you ever felt like you were, you find your, you're found yourself trapped in the middle of something that you have no control over and you don't know what to do? I think most of us feel that way in the time we're living. We think, why, why me? Why now? Why all of these things? When is the Lord coming back? We ask a lot of those questions. And it's interesting to me because I've met people who have told me, I think I was born in the wrong time frame. I've had some people tell me I think I should have been a settler when the uh, people were conquering new lands here in the United States. And others have said I, I would have done better uh, if I was born in the 50s or in the, the days of the hippies or, you know, I've heard all of those kinds of things. And yet I realize that God knows exactly when we were to be born and he knew that we were going to be alive at this time for a purpose that he knows that we don't always understand. And so instead of us whining and instead of us complaining, let's ask God to help us to not miss one thing he has for us here. And, and so I was, I was listening to a devotional. There's a, a group of pastors up in the northeastern states who do a, a devotional at 5.58 in the morning. They call it 5.58. And every, it's on Facebook and, and just different preachers and uh, some of them are young, some of them are old, some of them are from the south, some of them are from Maine. I mean, it's just all, all kinds of different guys. And one of the guys uh, was, did, a, did a short devotional on the phrase, in the midst. And when he said it, I, was, I got curious. He did a very short 15-minute devotional, and I, I was curious, and I wrote myself a note. Check out how many times that's in the Bible. It might surprise you to hear that 256 times that phrase appears in the Bible. 218 times in the Old Testament and 38 times in the New Testament. And so that prompted this series that I want to do with you for the next seven weeks here, eight weeks actually, it'll take over eight weeks, uh, that I'm entitling, uh, In the Midst, God is at Work. And it's amazing, when I began to study, and by the way, don't get nervous, I will not cover all 256 of them. Some of you are thinking, oh boy. Uh, it's not going to be, we're not cover all of them. We're going to do about seven, we're going to do seven, obviously. But when I began to study where they appeared in Scripture, it really amazed me uh, when they appeared and what, was God, what God was doing in the midst. He was doing something every time. And so I want to share that with you. That'll be our, our theme for the next seven weeks. You know, I love how the words of Scripture and the phrases of Scripture are so incredibly powerful. Uh, the Bible's not like any other book I've ever read. I don't know about you. Uh, I've never read a book that compares to it. One word can have such depth, it's amazing. When I was getting ordained in 1980, I wrote the following statement. 
in my doctrinal statement. I said, I believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture. Verbal meaning God chose the very words that made up the original writings. Plenary meaning God chose the very thoughts, concepts, and ideas that became the Word of God. I believed that then, and I still believe it today. And I believe it when I look at this phrase, these three words, in the midst. What can we learn from that? Uh, it was funny, right? I uh, got a phone call from Ray Clifford a couple of weeks ago. Ray uh, helps teach our singles ministry, one of the singles ministries here at our church. And he was getting prepared for a, his Sunday school lesson. And he called me to, to chat a little bit about it, to see what I thought and if I had any ideas. That he was trying to get me to write his lesson for him, really. Was, no, I'm just teasing. He wasn't doing that. But he was just calling to pick my brain. And I love that, by the way. And we were on a call for about 40 minutes, just going back and forth over ideas that God touched our hearts with from Scripture. And in the conversation, Ray made this statement. It's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. He said, the Bible's like a gold mine. The deeper we dig, the more gold we find. We just need to keep our get our shovels out and dig. And you know what? There's so, there's so much truth to that. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks here, a couple months is get our shovels out and dig and see what does this phrase in the midst have to do with me so I looked at all these different I looked at all 256 occurrences of them and uh, I chose a few that I thought really uh, applied to me now the study that I want to do with you is not going to be a deeply intellectual study if you came for that I'm sorry I'll probably disappoint you but when I'm, when I'm looking at scripture I like it to be applicational I want to take what I see here on the pages of the Bible and I want to incorporate it into my life. I want, to, I want to take truths that are here and I want to live those truths. And so that's what we're going to try to do uh, throughout this study. And, and as I look through all the different places that in the midst showed up in Scripture, um, I, I thought the best place to start, and by the way, I was not here Sunday night. I was preaching uh, in New Jersey on Sunday night, but I heard um, my wife told me when I was telling her what I was going to say, she said, you know, Rand Hummel just preached all of this on Sunday night. So I'm guessing, since I didn't hear that, and I'd already prepared this before Sunday night, uh, maybe God wants you to hear it twice. So uh, if you missed it Sunday night, uh, hopefully you'll catch it tonight. But I thought the best place to start with the In the Midst, it was right here in, in Proverbs chapter 4. I want you to read verses 20 and 21 with me. The writer says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them where? In the midst. That's, when I pause like that, then you want to say those words with me. In the midst. You ready? Let's try it again. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Father, would you tonight meet with us? I know you will. You've already met with us. I don't mean that you come as you've not been here, but I do pray that we will yield our hearts completely to the Spirit of God tonight. There are so many distractions right now for us, Father. You know that. And, and so many things are pulling for our attention. Fear and, and anger and rebellion and confusion. And all of these things are vying for our attention. So many people are discouraged today, Father, and we're not, we're not uh, uh, exempt from that. We can get discouraged too. Thank you for the Bible. 
Thank you for this medicine for our soul. Tonight, as we open this book and these two verses, really just to look at them mainly tonight, would you help our hearts to be encouraged? And God, would you help us not to focus on the things that are around us, but on this book and on the truths that are here? For you gave us these 66 books and every page of this book with a purpose in mind to draw us to yourself and to help us to be conformed to the image of your son. So tonight I pray that these few moments we spend here, Lord, my thoughts are so feeble and weak, but, but the word of God's powerful. And so I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. And Lord, I'm not, I'm not imagining that everybody's going to get all of these things tonight, but God, would you touch those who need it the most? And God, I pray you'll include me in that number. I need it so badly. And so I pray that you'd minister to our hearts tonight through your word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This book of Proverbs has that phrase, my son, 23 different times throughout the book. This is one of those here in verse uh, 20 of chapter 4. The phrase, when it says my son, it's interesting. I looked at, I, again, I looked at all 23 of them, and I, I wanted to see uh, where they occurred and what, what followed the my son. And the first one is it, it, he encourages son in, right up in the beginning of the book in chapter 1, not to follow the example of sinners, not to go the way of the crowd. Uh, he also talked about not fighting against the chastening of the Lord. He warned about uh, strange women for his son. He, he, warned, uh, he said, be true to the oath that you give to your friend. He talked about uh, one of the, the my sons was to gain wisdom, and one was not to allow a woman to lead their heart astray. Eleven of the 23 times, please listen, catch this, eleven of the 23 times that the phrase my son pops up here in the book of Proverbs, it's referring to staying in the word of God. 11 of the 23 times that a godly father looks at his son and shares his heart with him, he says to him, stay in the book. Stay with the commandments. Don't get away from the laws of God. Stay in the statutes of God. Uh, don't move away from them. And what that tells me is that every word in the word of God is precious, it's powerful, and it was placed exactly where God wanted it to be for such a time as this. So today we find ourselves in the midst of this world we don't have all the answers As a matter of fact every time we turn around we have more questions i think uh, i read some things from the cdc today and i'm i am uh totally confused as to what we need to do by the way i think they are too that's the world we find ourselves in without this book to guide us we're in deep trouble and so tonight, I want you to focus your attention here with me in this, in verses 20 and 21. We'll go through it very quickly. But I want you to look in verse 20 there. He says, my son, attend to my words. And I love this word, attend. It has the idea of, of uh, a dog's ears being pricked up. I don't know if you've ever watched a dog when, when something happens and their ears pop up. Uh, you may not hear the sound, but they hear the sound. I equate it to, please forgive me, but when I'm in the woods and I see a deer coming towards me, I have watched, a, you know, deer's ears are really long, and I have watched those ears pop up, and just like radar, I see them going like this until they find me, and then they stay right there at me. That's the same idea here. It's the idea of us, uh, of us uh, 
focusing with an intensity that we have not had before. It's not a general, you know, you're just lounging through, you listen to elevator music, you're not really listening to it. This is when our ears prick up and, and we, we pay attention very quickly. And so the very, in the very first chapter of the book of Proverbs, uh, one of the my sons, the very first my son in the book of Proverbs is verse 8 of chapter 1. And he says, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Again, he's saying, pay attention to the word of God. Now, I, I have to tell you that there's times, if we're honest, that we come to church and we don't come here with our ears attentive to the word of God. Uh, one of the things, I say this almost every time I preach, but one of the things I love is going to prison. And I, I mean going to prison to preach. Let me say that that way. I don't enjoy going to prison. I enjoy going to prison. I really enjoy getting out of prison. Uh, but I enjoy preaching in prison. But you know, one of the things I love there is the way the men that I meet in prison, the way they sing. They sing songs. By the way, I don't like all of their songs. They're not my favorites, but I like the way they sing their songs. They sing their songs from the depth of their soul. You see, they've known what it is to be, uh, be away from God in the pigsty where the prodigal son found himself. And they know what it's like when the father welcomes you home and kisses you on the neck. And when they sing victory in Jesus, you have not heard victory in Jesus sung until you've heard it sung in prison by some men who've been saved there. Uh, and I love that. Their, their ears are attentive. When I come to church, uh, there's times I think that people come to church and they think, oh, I've already heard this, this verse before. And they kind of tune out the preacher. That's not what this verse is talking about. This father says to his son, attend to the words. Get your ears wide open. If, if we were going to show that, it would kind of be this idea. It's funny, my hearing is so bad right now. And, and uh, for some sounds... Uh, we have those old-fashioned thermometers. You know the ones I'm talking about? You push a little button, you put it in, it's in there for a while, and then it's a little beep, 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 beep. You know what I'm talking about? I cannot hear that beep, beep, beep. I could sit there for an hour with that thermometer in my mouth. I have no idea if it's finished or it's still going. So I have to tell Terry. Now, tonight she came up, and I've come to church, so I put the thermometer in to see what my temperature is, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table with my ears like this. She comes up and she walks in the kitchen. She says, oh my, I can't hear. But I, that's the idea of coming to church with your ears wide open. With your, when you open this book and when you read this book, opening it and saying to God, please fill my heart with the truths of Scripture. And by the way, I see some of you wives talking to your husbands. I know they can't hear it either. But um, <laughs> So many times we come to church and we just we take our Bible kind of for granted. And we, we just, we treat it like it's just another book. How, how sad it would be, honestly, to have the last time you touched this book that you have with you tonight, that the last time you touched it would have been Sunday night when you got home from church. How sad a commentary that is on us as Christians. I, I was reading, uh, I love A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. It's an incredible book. And in that book, in the very first chapter, uh, he, he wrote this statement. I want you to listen to it. He said, how tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Now, I don't know about you, but I learn far more, and this is not a knock on Pastor Wendell or any of the pastoral staff here or any of the teachers that I've ever had, 
But I learn far more at my kitchen table with my Bible open. And God speaks to my heart far deeper in those times than he does when I'm in a corporate worship time. Although he speaks to my heart there too, and I'm praising God for that. But I don't want to depend on someone else to feed me. I have a Bible. You have a Bible. We've li- we're living in a time when we have more, uh, more spiritual tools at our disposal on our phone, on our iPad, on our computers. There's no excuse for us not to be able to understand our Bible. That's not a problem. The problem is we don't run to it, and we're not attending our ears to it. We're just taking it as though it's some other book, and, and it's just a, another book on the shelf, and if we get to it, we get to it. But I want to tell you that it's important that you read this book you have. I know Pastor mentioned it uh, on the, the last Sunday of the year, and he always does it on the first Sunday of the year, but reading your Bible through. You know, my, my dad passed away a year and a half ago now, and uh, I was going through, I, I was just going through some of his papers, and, and I found uh, his uh, certificate for reading his Bible through just a couple years ago. I keep it on my desk. I keep it right where I can see it uh, because I want to remember that's my heritage, that's my that's what I was that's how I was raised and and praise God for that Uh, we need to read our Bibles we need to hear the word of God when we come here by the way you say I can't make it there's no excuse it's live streamed everything's live streamed now you can get it if you don't catch it the time it happens it's there somewhere there are podcasts you can get there are radio broadcasts Uh, thankfully we have a decent Christian radio station in our area avail yourselves of those things those are ways you can hear the word of god and then don't just don't just come to church but come to church expecting god to feed you and then go from here and tell what you've learned amen so the first thing he says is attend your ear look at the second one he says there in verse 20 incline thine ear attend to my words incline thine ear unto my sayings now i like this one this one's similar to attend But incline has the idea literally of leaning forward to be able to hear better. Uh, Terry and I have uh, 11 grandchildren. And um, let's see, uh, we're six boys and five girls. If the boys are winning. Uh, But anyway, the girls, some of the girls talk so quietly when they talk to me. Now, not Lawrence and Amanda's daughter. Lawrence and Amanda's daughter takes after her father. I can hear her from across the room. She's, a good, she's good for me. But the other ones, sometimes they say something to me, and they're looking right at me, and they have a question mark on their face. And I look over at them, and I've heard a noise, but I have no idea what they said. So I say, can you say it one more time? And then they say it again, exactly the same volume, with the exact same distance between us. And, and I literally, now I'm, I'm leaning toward them, and I say, I hate, could you say it one more time? And could you possibly say it a little louder? (laughs) Inclining your ear is the idea that you're leaning into because you realize it's something very important. Now, I will tell you this too, and I hate to admit this in public, but I might as well. I told Terry, I've gotten to an age where I don't have brain cells to waste. So there are, (laughs) Brother Eifert, you know what I'm talking about. There's some people who tell me stuff that I don't really care what it's about, I don't incline my ear to them. I just do this one. I do the deaf, what I call the deaf nod. I do this one. (laughs) This means I have no idea what you're saying to me, and I really don't care, but I don't want you to be mad at me, so I'm going to do this. And and, uh, But you know what? When When I come to church, 
I want to catch every word of every song. I want to catch every word of every message. I want to catch every word of every testimony. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss church because I'm afraid I will miss something that happens while I'm not there. This past Sunday night, I was down in Elmer, New Jersey. I preached in a church. I missed whatever happened here. I'm thankful Terry was here so she was able to tell me what had happened. But, but I, I don't want to miss anything at church. When I open my Bible, I don't want to, I don't want to miss anything. I want to get it all. And, and by the way, I've been saved for 58 years. And you would think I had figured this Bible out by now. But, you know, last week I read something and I had to get my, my concordance out and I got some commentaries to figure out a verse here in the book of Proverbs. And I still don't know that I totally figured it out, but I got a little bit closer this time. But I love that. I want to incline my ear. I want to lean myself into the word of God. I, I want to I pursue God so deeply and, and I don't want to just pass over things. And I say this because we do this in our everyday lives but we tend not to do it with our Bible. Let me give you an example. When Terry and I uh, surrendered to be missionaries, we, I got a job in, in the secular world at a cell phone company. By the way, it's where I met Frank Imbo. Frank Imbo tried to witness to me. But I had prayed for my meal before I ate it, and he thought I might have been a Christian anyway. And uh, we met each other. But anyway, um, when I got that job with a cell phone company, I had no idea how a cell phone worked. I didn't have one. I didn't know how to turn one on. I didn't know how it worked at all, nothing about it. And I, I went in, I remember the first day that I went into work, and, and, and I sat down at my desk, and I hear all these guys talking about, digi by the way, this is a long time ago, digital and analog they were talking about. They told me that analog's a series of zeros and ones, and digital is something, or maybe it was the other way around, I can't remember which, the other way around, okay. See, you could tell how much I learned. I didn't know a thing of what I was talking about. So I went out into the showroom of the place where I was working. I got every pamphlet in the, in the pocket. Came in, I laid them all out, I read every one, and I sat there after I read every one, and I said, God, what in the world am I doing here? I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I can remember there was a guy coming by. His name was Joe. I said, hey, Joe, I got a problem. He said, what? He said, I said, I don't have any clue what I'm doing here. He said, come on with me. I'm going for a smoke break. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> he took me out for a smoke break, which was not fun. But anyway, uh, but he told me, what, you know what? But I gave myself to this job I have. I worked hard to try to figure out uh, how these things work and, and how, what do they do for people. And uh, at the end of the first month, I was the sixth highest salesman in the company. I still didn't know how the phone worked. But God was good to me, and I, that's a whole other story for another time. But our study of the Word of God ought to be no different. If I read something in Scripture and I don't fully understand it, I don't want to just throw my hands up and say, oh, well, I'm not going to worry about that one. I'm going to study it myself. If I can't figure it out, listen, folks, we are blessed at Valley Forge Baptist. We have pastors who who we can call and ask them a question like that, who are going to be thrilled to tell us what they think it means. And they'll lead us. They, they might, by the way, some of them might say, I don't know either, but let's look at it together. But my point is this. We don't give up. We want to incline our ear. We want to lean into it. I've got to hurry just a little bit. Look what it says, the next phrase in, that, in verse 21. Let them not, now we're talking about the words of the Bible, let them not depart from thine eyes. And that phrase literally means to never take your eyes from the truths of the Word of God. 
Uh, this means that we get focused on Scripture. We get focused on biblical principle. Hey, listen to me. This world today is so distracting. There are so many things pulling for your attention. And if you're not careful, you can get wrapped up in all of the non-eternal issues, and there's thousands of them right now. Non-eternal issues that believers are wasting hours upon hours on Facebook and talking to their friends and emailing and doing all kinds of research on. Can I say to you, the day you're going to die is the day God decided you will die. And whether it comes from COVID or cancer or heart attack or you just die, I don't know what, but God knows that day. And so let's trust God. But let's take the time we have to get to know his word and to, to, to take it in ourselves and to get that scriptural principle. And I don't know about you, but I get discouraged at night sometimes I lay down. And I, my mind starts to run on some of these things I've heard through the day. I think about some burdens of our own family and some burdens of our church family. And I think about missionary burdens. And I think about the burdens for my country and, and all of these things if I'm not careful. And you know what I do? I run to scriptures. By the way, a good one to run to, Psalm chapter 3. If you don't know what it says, open it up and read it. It will encourage your soul. But run to the word of God. Keep the focus. Uh, uh, you know, let them not depart from thine eyes. I'll never forget uh, our son Patrick and I. Uh, when he was young growing up, I, I kind of wanted him to enjoy hunting like I do. Uh, but he was always playing soccer. And soccer's right during hunting season, so we didn't get to hunt too much together when he was younger. And I remember the first time I got him to go out with me, we were going to go, we were hunting for deer. We were over in southern Chester County, and, and we had gone down in the woods in the dark, and it was cold. And we went down in there, and I'm thinking, I remember me when I was his age, I couldn't have sat still for five minutes. So I'm thinking, we're going to be doing a lot of back and forth in and out of the woods, go to the bathroom, get something to eat, you know, all of that stuff. My word, he was great. He just sat right there. And, and uh, we were sitting there, and as the sun came up, and you could finally see the woods, it was dark, you know, when the sun came up, I looked, and across, we were in this little valley like this, and there was a tree that had fallen, a real large tree that had fallen down. And it was laying, and the root, step, the root bulb was over here, and, and the rest of it went this way. And I'm looking around, like, and I'm telling him, keep your eyes peeled, bud. You know, keep your eyes open for deer. And he is, and we're, we're both, you know, looking around. All of a sudden, as my eyes came across, I looked at that tree, and I could see antlers <laughs> sticking up on the other side of the tree. And I said to him, real quiet, I went, there's a buck right there. Now, it was probably 40 yards away from us, but that's pretty close. I said, he's right there. He's like, where? I said, look over there, see those? And finally, he saw the antlers. And you know what? For the next two hours, him and I stared at antlers. <laughs> I gotta be honest, I, the only time I moved my eyes from the antlers was to blink them so I could look back. Our eyes were fixed on those antlers. Some guy came walking through a few hours later, kicked that deer out and it ran away. We never did get the get a shot at it but but you know what we were fixed on that that thing we were focused on that deer and and you know what i'm thankful uh that i've had i had parents god blessed me with parents who fixed their eyes on the word of god and uh i can remember my mom and dad getting criticism often because when my mom and dad read something in the bible uh if they saw it in the bible that's what we did it didn't matter whether anybody else was doing it or not. By the way, there weren't a lot of other people doing it. 
But my mom and dad decide if it's in the Bible, that's what we're going to do. And so um, that's what we did. And then they lived that in front of my sister and I, so that they didn't just tell us to do things. By the way, I wrote a devotional not too long ago, and I said, I never remember a time when my father took me to church and dropped me off. Hello? Some of you are going to catch that. Some of you got taken to church, dropped off, and your dad would come back to get you when the time was up. And frankly, it bothers me when I see people do it today, and they're still doing it. But I'm thankful when I went to church, I followed my dad in the door because my dad was going into the church. My dad was going to serve God. My dad was going to be a part of that church. And my dad was an active man of God who lived in front of me, and my mom as well. But for me as a boy, that, that left a big impression on me my dad doing that but he he had that idea of keeping his focus on on the word of god and and you know what i think about when i was a kid uh let me just give you this little illustration when i was a kid i had three kinds of clothing <laughs> maybe you did or i don't know if you did or not but in my house we did i had school clothing school clothing uh, i had to match shirt pants socks shoes had to match uh then i had church clothing and church clothing was uh tie jacket shirt pants socks shoes you think i'm kidding about the socks but my mom i would have to go in my mom's bedroom every sunday morning and pull my pant leg up so she could see my socks to make sure they match my pants you think i'm kidding i'm not well when i got to be a teenager i think she trusted me but before that i had to go in and prove it and then i had play clothes and the play clothes were my favorite, you know, because I, in the summer, I'd just wear those things out. I mean, the knees were gone in the jeans, and the, you know, the shirts were so comfortable, they just slipped right on, and the shoes were all beat up, and if you ran through the mud, it didn't matter. Uh, you know, it was great. I love to play clothes. But I sometimes think about people and the way their Bibles look, and, and your Bible was meant to be used like play clothes. Hello? Your Bible's meant to be put on and and walked around in and lived in Uh, somebody said one time a person whose bible is falling apart probably their life is not and there's a lot of truth to that and so by the way i i i just want to challenge you and i'm not trying to yell at you i really not but god transformed my life the day i figured this out and it took me a while i was out of bible college till i figured this out I had an older preacher say to me, and I've said it to you so many times you could repeat it uh, with me, but he said to me, I don't know how a man can claim to be a man of God and not be in the word of God every day. And that just makes sense to me. I want God to have me, so how can he have me? Well, I've got to put my eyes in here, and I, I've got to let them not depart from my mind. Listen, when I walk out of here on a Sunday evening or a Sunday morning after being in church, I should not be a different person than what I am when I'm in this building. This building is not some holy uh, sanctuary. It's just a meeting place for the church. It doesn't matter whether the hallway's ripped out or it's there. It doesn't matter. Who we are is what the church is all about. And I want to challenge you. You know, don't just come here and, and leave, let, leave it up to the pastor to feed you this book. Get in this word every day. Get in. There's so many great things in there. And, and you're going to find some things you don't understand, but that's all right. Uh, by the grace of God as you mature you begin to understand them and things come to light to you I've read this book through for the last I don't know how many years and and I love it because every time I do it every time I read through this book I find new things and I think how did God sneak that one in there I've already read that before but I never saw it before this is a living word of God so uh, 
Keep your, your focus on the let them not depart from your, thine eyes. And then I want you to look at the last phrase that's here. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. The idea of keep there is the idea of setting a hedge around or, or putting a protection, a guard about it. Uh, and, and, and the idea is that uh, it really has the idea of looking narrowly or preserving or setting a watchman over something that's valuable. So when you keep, this is kind of a military term. When you keep, uh, you know, can you imagine that you're the guy who is given the responsibility to be on the wall at night? Everybody else is going to take a nap. Everybody else is going to try to catch a few winks. But the enemy is just outside of where you are, and you're given the responsibility of keeping watch. You would be pretty serious about that, I would hope. If you fall asleep, and the enemy comes and infiltrates and takes out all of your family, your, your army uh, family, you're, gonna, you're the one that's responsible for that. So the, the idea is that. It's the idea of keeping a, a, a guard, a watch over, uh, being aware of things, watching very carefully um, you know, things that are moving. Uh, our son Patrick bought us for, for Christmas last year this thing called Blink. Does anybody know what Blink is? It's a home. You got these little boxes and little cameras. They're motion sensitive. So when something goes in front of it, it a video camera comes on and it comes to my phone. So um, at nighttime, I, I, I engage it. I arm it. And I've got one on the side. I won't tell you where they are because you might come try to rob my house. I don't know what, once you know where they are. But I put them around three different ones and I can see the doors, basically. And, um, and, and so it's funny because there, that little box is kind of helping me to keep my home safe. You, you with me? The only thing I've seen on there are rabbits, cats, and fox. No, not at the same time. I think maybe the fox is following the rabbit. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. But, uh, but it's keeping a watch, keeping vigilant, keeping your eyes. When you're in this book, you ought to be on the lookout for something that you can, that you can have in your life and you guard it. Now look at the last phrase, and this is one we've been aiming at, in the midst of. In other words, it, the focus of this, these truths, the focus should be where? What, what are the last words? in your heart in your heart so I want you to see the first in the midst of in our study and, and I'm going to be finished here just in a second but the thing that the first in the midst of is the word of God in the midst of your heart that's God's plan my word God gave us so many scriptures about this I could, I could keep you for another hour literally just going through scriptures that refer to this I'm just going to give you two of the most famous ones uh, to you and to me as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you remember that, uh, those verses, uh, instructions to parents. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Then verse 7 talks about us teaching them diligently, which means consistently uh, on a regular basis. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, he says, Bind them upon thine hand and put them as frontlets between thine eyes. You know what the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses, was telling us? The word of God's important. Put it everywhere you look. It should be obvious wherever you look should be the word of God. Now listen, I want to tell you, it's a good thing to do that. In, in your car, they got these things called three-by-five cards. Now I know the young people don't use them anymore. They got a phone. 
but I still like to see it in front of me. So I put on a three by five card. On the mirror in my bathroom is Psalm 3 3. And you'll have to read it later, but it talks about God uh, being the lifter up of my head. Uh, he's my glory and the lifter up of my head. I want to see that every morning when I go in, into the bathroom to start my day off. I want to know God's going to lift my head up all through the day today. I have, we have scriptures around our house, and, and I, I'm amazed at how many times I'm just coasting around my house and I see a verse, and it touches my heart. And, and it brings me back to, to what I should be. So put the word of God all around. David wrote in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect or complete, converting or turning the soul. The testimony or the witness of the Lord is sure. That word sure has the idea of a foundation to build on. It makes wise the simple. I like that phrase especially. Makes wise the simple. I was never, I have never, ever been at the top of my class. I, I used to tease and say I was on the dean's list in college but it wasn't the one you get on for your grades. I'll let you figure that out later. But I like the fact that the word of God is sure and it makes wise the simple because honestly, there's so many times I go to God and I say, God, I'm so foolish. I'm so weak. I'm so feeble. I don't know what to do and I need your help. And the word of God, every time, it helps me to make wise the simple. He goes on there in verse eight to say, the statutes of the Lord are right. And I'm glad for that. I don't ever have to question if I read it in here. Is that really true? I know it's true if I read it here. I can hear it on the TV, on the news, and I can ask myself, is that really true? And pretty much it's not. But anyway, if I read it here, I'm so thankful. That every word that I read here, I can build my life on it. I know it's true. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandments of the Lord are, are pure enlightening the eyes. I, I want to say to you that you and I need to get this word in the midst of us. How many of you have ever been to the Strasburg Railroad up in Lancaster County? Oh, a lot of you. How many of you actually rode the train? Yeah, you have children, you had to ride the train, right? It's really exciting for the first 150 yards. <laughs> and, and then it's just kind of like, we're going to go to the end, and we're going to stop, and we're going to come back the same way we just went. But anyway, that Strasburg is pretty cool. It really is pretty neat. We took our grandkids uh, not too long ago, our three youngest grandchildren, we went. And they loved it. And, and you know what, though? I love the old, steam, the old steam engines. But there's something that's really true. Until you build a fire in that steam engine, you're not going anywhere. It can, it's a big, humongous machine. And it can pull a lot of cars, but it can't do anything until you put some wood in there and light a fire under it. And then, not only do you have to put the wood in there, because that creates steam. By the way, I'm not a mechanic. I'm, I'm just faking it right now, to be honest with you. But I think what happens is the, the fire in there creates, uh, it boils water, and it creates steam, and somehow, I don't know how, but that steam makes you go down the track. But I do know this. If you let the fire go out, there's no steam, and you're going to sit still. The, steam, the, the fire in the heart of a Christian is this book. There is no substitute. You can read 15 books on how to be a, success, a successful Christian. If you're not reading this one, you're not going to be a successful Christian. Right. So here's my challenge to you on this very first in the midst. 
I want to get into the Word of God so much that the Word of God gets into me. I want, I, I want it so badly, and I'm so disappointed with myself when I see myself being outside of that Word. And by the way, I don't need Pastor Wendell or, or Pastor Eifert, he's here, so I'll pick on him. I don't need them to come and say, Jim, you're not doing... That, that's secondary. When I know that I have violated scriptural principle, it bothers me. But I wouldn't know it bothers me unless there was some fire in the engine. Unless I put the word of God in there. I, need to, I want to get this word into me because I got to be honest with you. If there's one thing our world needs today more than any other thing is to see some Christians that actually resemble Jesus Christ. We are, we are so, and by the way, that's why these distractions are so dangerous for us. Don't get caught up on a non-eternal issue. Jesus is coming again. He could be back tonight. I don't know when he's coming. I can't believe he's waited this long. I don't know when he's coming, but I'll tell you one thing. There are people that I want to see come to Christ before he returns. They're not going to come to Christ by me depending on someone else to live for Christ. They're going to come to Christ if I live for Christ. Some of my grandchildren I want to see saved. I'm begging God for our, our family, for our grandchildren, for some of our sisters and brothers. And, and, and my, my point is, we don't have brothers, by the way, I just remembered that. We just have all sisters, so brothers-in-laws. You know, those guys are, anyway, we won't go there. But I'm just teasing. But I want to see some people saved who are precious to me. I have neighbors in my neighborhood that, that we're desperately trying to live like Christ in front of them and share the word of God with them. We're giving tracts to our garbage men and our mailman and, and anybody who will pause on the street coming by our house. Why? Because Jesus needs to get into their lives because they have all the concerns and burdens of the world without hope. Without hope. And we have the hope. And so I want to just challenge you. Pursue the word of God. Get into the word of God until it gets into you, until it gets in the midst of your heart. Father, would you help us tonight? Easy to talk about these things. Another thing to live them. I don't know who needed this message. It could be just me that needs it. I don't know. But Lord, I ask you, to burn these truths deeply into our hearts so that we can go out of this place more like Jesus than when we walked in here. And help us to make a difference because the world is lost. They have no hope. They're except for of God. David wrote there in Psalm 3, the world says there's no hope, there's no help for me in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Lord, you. Thank you for giving us the Bible. Help us to get it in the midst of our heart. And God, I pray that it would make a difference, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people we meet this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks, for coming. We'll see you on Sunday. Sunday of the year. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me today to Philippians chapter 3. 
I am saving my celebration Sunday for next week, but if you would join me today, Philippians chapter 3. As the Apostle Paul awaited trial, he realized that if he was found guilty, that his life might be over. And so he wants the Philippian Christians, as he writes them, he wants them to think about the finish line of their life. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what, what might go on your, your gravestone, uh, your epitaph? Uh, most people don't like to think about it. Here's a man who did many years ago. At the age of 28, Ben Franklin penned his epitaph. He actually wrote it, and he gave it out to his friends. And as you can see, it reads, uh, The Body of B. Franklin, Printer. Like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding. Lies here food for worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it will be, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, corrected and improved by the author. You know, I've officiated just about 350 funerals. I've attended about 100 others, and I've listened to hundreds of eulogies, and I've discovered that what really matters is not so much what you do, but who you are. Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you caring? Are you, are you joyful to be around? Do you reflect Christ in your life? Are you a magnet that you actually draw people closer to God? Like Benjamin Franklin, we should all take a moment to think about, to think ahead to this, the story of the end of our life. So the first month of the year is always a good time for us to set our course, to make our plan, to write some goals and re resolutions. God may adjust those plans, that's okay too, but to be able to, to sit down and make plans. And so my message is entitled, Resolutions for 2022. And we find our scripture inspiration here in Philippians chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Would you join me? And let's pray and let's ask God to speak to our hearts through his word that we might set a course and make resolutions that would be pleasing and honoring to him. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you that you watch over us, that you care for us. I thank you that you have given to each one of us a new year to be able to serve you. And as we have a new day, we rejoice. We rejoice in it because we know it is your gift. And so is this new year. And I pray, God, that we might take some time to Reflect upon what you would have us to do, the plans, the preparations, the resolutions that you would have us to make. And I pray it might all, all be about Christ, that we might be like John the Baptist, who prayed that he might increase and we might decrease. If there be one that is watching and is not sure about their own salvation, may the word of God and the spirit of God draw them to yourself today. Strengthen each Christian 
as we make decisions that will help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name pray, amen. The Apostle Paul, he was a goal setter. We see it right here in chapter 3. Uh, he had prayer goals. He had church planting goals. Uh, he actually had travel goals. He had a goal to go to Rome. He had a goal to go to Spain. Uh, I think he reached most of his goals because right before he died in 2 Timothy 4, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. It sounds like a man who has accomplished and met the goals that God gave to him. So let me ask you, it's, it's the 9th of January. How many of you have actually written down New Year's resolutions this year? Now, if you're like me, you have just come through a very busy time. May I suggest, since you have a little extra time today, you're not traveling to and from church this morning, you have a little extra time. So get out a piece of paper or get your notes on your phone or your iPad and write at the top, resolutions for 2022 and ask God to be able to impress upon your heart to nudge your heart to be able to write some things down spiritual goals health goals service goals family goals and plans that you would have today is a good day to take the time to stop to reflect in your life on who you are before God who you are before others. It's a good time to rekindle the fire in your heart for the Lord. It's the right time to refocus and aim at the right target. Someone said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. In 2022, I hope you have something more important to shoot for than nothing. Than nothing. Life's too short to not have a purpose to live for and to seek God-given goals. So let me share with you one uh, set of interesting New Year's resolutions that I read this week. Uh, New Year's resolutions I have no chance at keeping. So this is what this guy wrote. He said, I will lose 30 pounds by going to the gym. He said, no chance of that happening. Uh, he wrote, I will spend less than five hours a day on the internet. These are goals that he's not going to uh, uh, be able to keep. Uh, I will spend less than $1,000 on coffee this year. He said he can't do that one either. I will stop repeating myself again and again and again and again. And then he wrote, I will think of a new password other than password. And so those are some resolutions he has no chance at keeping. But then he wrote, New Year's resolutions I can actually keep. This is what he wrote. I want to gain weight, put on at least 25 pounds, attainable goal. Uh, procrastinate more. Well, that's an easy one. I will do less laundry and use more deodorant. Uh, that's a goal. Stop buying worthless junk on eBay because QVC has better deals. <laughs> All God's people said, amen on that one. And then he wrote, I will work out five days a week. But then he had a line crossed through it. Then he wrote, I will work out three days a week. He had a line crossed through that. Then he wrote, I will try to drive past a gym at least once a week. Now that's an attainable goal. Kind of weak, but it is attainable. You know, I believe 
making resolutions are biblical. Jonathan Edwards made resolutions, and, and he sparked the Great Awakening. Joshua made a resolution, and I love Joshua's resolution. You know it well. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great resolution. Tens of thousands of Christians have put this, this verse, this plaque, on a door of their home, either outside or inside. And many still have it there today. It was sold by Home Interiors for a number of years, so many of us had it. Several years ago, many of us saw the Christian movie called Courageous. And if you haven't seen it, I, I recommend it. Uh, there's a scene near the end where the men, both single and married, some strong Christians, some weak, some scarred by sin, they make a public resolution to God, to put God, to put family, to put others first, and to put themselves last. Ten years ago on Father's Day, we offered these resolutions to our men. And I took the challenge, and I encouraged all of our our fathers to do the same. It's based on the resolution made by Joshua in Joshua 24, 15. The plaque, this plaque, I took a picture of it. It hangs uh, there in our home. And uh, let me just read to you. It's called the resolution. You can find it online, uh, but it's called the resolution. And so you read it before your family, and then you sign it. And this is what we did. I do solemnly resolve before God to take full responsibility for myself, my wife, and my children. I will love them, protect them, serve them, and teach them the word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I will be faithful to my wife to love and honor her, be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus Christ did for me. I will bless my children and teach them to love God with all their hearts, all their minds, and all of their strength. I will train them to honor authority and live responsibly. I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. I will pray for others and treat them with kindness, respect, and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I will forgive those who have wronged me and reconcile with those I have wronged. I will learn from my mistakes repent of my sins and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God I will seek to honor God be faithful to his church obey his word and do his will I will courageously work with the strength God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life and for his glory and then I sign my name Jody signed it. One more spot. So we had Pastor Matt sign it back when he was younger, uh, June 17, 2012, and it has Joshua 24, 15. It's called The Resolution. And you might ask, Pastor, how you, how you doing with that? And I have to answer honestly and say, you know, some days better than others, and some days not so good. And that's why you and I both need the word. I need the power of the Spirit of God. Paul's advice that he gives us right here in Philippians chapter 3. And if we don't follow what Paul says, then we're going to be tempted to quit. Will you quit on God in 2022? 
Will you just get tired? Will you get scared? Will you stop walking with the Lord? Will you stop serving the Lord? Will you stop attending church? Will you stop sharing your faith? There are different ways that people quit. Ways Christians quit. Here's one. It's called burnout. Burnout. There is physical burnout. Not too many go through this, but some do. And so, so burnout physically, uh, I, I think of Robert Murray McShyan. He died at the age of 30. Famous, famous pastor there in England. Before his death, he made this profound observation about his life, about his lack of balance. And referring to his body, he said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. I beat the horse to death, and now I can no longer deliver the message. McShyan, he once said, learn much about the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. Now, if the Lord gives you a special message to burn out physically, then don't let me stop in your way. Get, go ahead and do it. But if not, we need to learn to be spirit-filled. We need to learn to be biblically balanced in our lives. So there's physical burnout, but there's also emotional burnout. Several years ago, I read an insightful book entitled How to Beat Burnout. And the premise, uh, the premise is that the single greatest cause of burnout is bitterness. I believe it is the worst kind of cancer in the world today. Bitterness is the cancer of your soul, not your body. We've all met people that are bitter, bitter against parents or children, of bosses, against pastors, against neighbors. And the worst bitterness of all is, well, it's bitterness against God. Bitterness, grudge-holding, anger, resentment, irritation, holding on to past offenses and hate. It'll, it'll destroy you spiritually, but it will also kill you physically. It's bad for your body and immune system. Our pride demands our way. Our pride demands our rights, and that will bring burnout to your life. Let's quit on God. There's burnout, and then there's foul out. Samson uh, fouled out because of lust. King Saul fouled out because of disobedience. Judas uh, fouled out because of his love and greed for money more than Christ. Paul had co-workers who fouled out. And my heart goes out to the Apostle Paul as he wrote that last letter, 2 Timothy, right before his execution. He's all alone in a dirty dungeon. It's called the Mamertine Prison in Rome. Uh, it still is in existence. Lord willing, uh, those who attend the Journeys of Paul trip in the fall, you can actually be able to go to the Mamertine Prison where Paul was, going to the place where he wrote that final letter where he penned these words, Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Why did he do that? Because he loved this present world because of worldliness. 2 Timothy 4.10 reminds us that the pleasure of sin is but for a season. Fouling out. It's also another reason that people quit, burn out, foul out, and then rust out. How many Christians used to do this and used to do that, but now other priorities have crowded out serving God. Uh, I don't want to work in the nursery anymore. That, that, that's, uh, I, I, I did that in the past. I don't want to sing in the choir anymore. I, I know God gave me this voice to sing, but I don't do that. I don't want to pass out tracts anymore. I don't want to give offerings anymore. 
But God has given every Christian several gifts and abilities and experiences, and he wants you to use them for his glory, to bless others. Reading your Bible, being faithful at church, you know, it's like, it's like spiritual WD-40. If you want to keep the rust away, if you want to keep in good working condition, you need your word, the Word of God, you need the Church of God, you need the fellowship of God. You know, Don Evans' sister, her name is Pearl Schmidt. She sits right down here uh, by the Patriot Cafe. She is 99, 99, and she is faithful at church. Bob Jones, Bob Jones is 96, and he is faithful at church. I mean, Pearl even came out to the Share Joy Run. Now, granted, she wasn't in a wheelchair. It was a cold day, uh, but uh, she was there, and I pushed her most of the way. That's how I got my exercise that day. Uh, but by the way, she has also recovered from COVID, and we praise God for that. If these saints in their late 90s haven't rusted out, well, then neither should you and neither should I. Satan wants you out of God's service. Three ways to get you out. Burnout, foul out, rust out. Are the demonic hosts trying any of these on you? Do you realize that all three of these have one thing in common? What? You're out. Satan really doesn't care how he gets you out of church and out of the word and out of the will of God. He just wants you to quit. And many people Many people are giving in to this temptation. I fear, I fear some of you have already begun to slide the wrong way. You're giving in to this temptation to quit. You say, ah, what's the use? What's the use? I'm tired of the battle. I keep losing. It's a lost cause. The best thing for me to do is quit. So students quitting on school, quitting on college, husbands and wives quitting on their marriage, Christians quitting on God, pastors Quitting their churches. Our national motto has become, if at first you don't succeed, quit. Take it easy. Slow down. It's easier to say, I quit, than to stay in the battle for Christ. Some things we ought to quit. If you cuss, if you smoke, if you use drugs, good things to quit. If you gossip, that's a good thing to quit. If you dabble in pornography, it's time to quit. We ought to quit some hobbies and some sports that might have become little idols, little gods that pull us away from him. But the good things, the spiritual things, we better not quit. Hey, anybody can quit. It takes no character to quit. It takes no determination. Quitting is just the easy way out. Don't be tempted by quitting. Now let's look at, at Paul's counsel right here about being resolved. Four qualities to keep the resolutions that you're going to write for your life and for your heart. Number one, dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction with the lack of spiritual growth. I'm not perfect. I have room to grow. Uh, John Maxwell says, if you're not growing, you've already died. They just haven't had the funeral yet. Look with me in verse 12. Paul writes, not as though I had already attained, pretty perfect, but I follow after, that I, that if that I may apprehend for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I'm not perfect, he says. I have room to grow, he says. Now, if Paul didn't claim to be perfect, what about you and I? Uh, Paul effectively puts to death 
the false doctrine of perfectionism, of becoming sinless in this life. You'll never find the second blessing taught in the Bible. We're living in an imperfect world surrounded by imperfect people, and happy is the person who does not forget that the goal is to press on and to grow a little more each day. The goal is to be a little more like Christ in how you live. If you struggle with perfectionism, listen to the advice of Joseph Addison. It is only imperfection that complains of what is imperfect. The more mature we are, the more gentle and quiet we become toward the defects of others. So one extreme is perfectionism, another is and demanding it in others. The other extreme is to be content where you are spiritually. And a Christian who doesn't grow, a Christian who doesn't serve, a Christian who is not growing and giving becomes saved and satisfied. You can't get it out of first gear. And it's a dangerous place to be to remain a spiritual infant. And it's prideful to think that you're a spiritual giant. Paul had a holy dissatisfaction with his spiritual growth. We would say, but Paul, you're the greatest. You started all these churches. You wrote all this scripture. We've never met a Christian as dedicated as you. You've done this and that. But Paul did not glory in those accomplishments. Rather, he looked at what he could yet do for Christ. You know, man is the only creature that when you pat him on the back, that is, his head swells up. But God will share his glory with no one. And Paul knew that. Don't you want to say with Paul, look what he said in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, to grow closer and closer to him. So, so if you're going to keep your resolution, you got to have a desire to want to grow, a dissatisfaction with your past and your spiritual growth that you want to grow more. Secondly is devotion. Verse 13, this one thing I do, not these many things I dabble with. Too many Christians are involved in too many things. And the secret of success in the Christian life is being involved in one thing. And that one thing is exalting Christ in your life. How do you do that? Well, a great place to start is to find a place in the work of Christ in your local church. Roll up your sleeves and say, this is my ministry. I'm going to impact others. I'm going to serve God. Nehemiah 6.3, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down off of this wall. James 1.8, a double-minded man is always unstable in all his ways. So what do you want to focus on this year, 2022? Is your focus making money? Is it buying clothes? Is it getting more expensive toys and things? Or is it going to be loving and serving God? F. Brooke wrote, my goal is God himself, not not joy, nor peace, nor even blessing, but my God being devoted to Christ. A third quality to keep your resolutions, dissatisfaction, devotion, and then letter C there is direction. Direction, not perfection, in verse 13. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before Someone said what is important is not where you come from, but where you are going. But it is time to deal with your past. We're in 2022, and so the past needs to stay where it is. 
What is important is not where you come from, but where you were. Now, in your past, some of you may have been abused. In your past, some of you may have been the abusers. And you know, there is hope for both categories. Uh, your sins may be rotten, and they are, but their impact on others is small in comparison to Paul's sins. Remember what he did before he was a Christian. In the name of God, he arrested Christians. He tortured Christians. He put Christians to death. And yet he writes, I forget my sins. I let go my sins. And isn't that what God has done with our sins? Think about it. Think about it. What has God said about your sins when you came to Christ? I mean, your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. Didn't he bury them in the deepest part of the sea? Didn't he, he place them behind his back to remember them no more? Didn't he say they are removed as far as the east is from the west? It's time to deal with your past biblically. That guilt you are carrying is supposed to point you to Christ, the one who can forgive your sins, and that's Jesus Christ. He forgave me, he forgave you, and we need to accept and embrace that forgiveness. Too many Christians, they're trying to run the race while looking backward. But pastor, you don't understand, this is what happened when I was a child, when I was a teenager, when I was in the service, when I was in college. Uh, this is what happened at work. I know that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, and your own heart can trick you and blind you and make up excuses until the day you die. If you're a Christian and you live by your feelings and you disobey the word of God, you're going to stand before the Lord ashamed at that judgment seat. It's time to get your direction following Christ. And then one more, determination. Letter D, determination. Determination to follow Christ until you die. Notice in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In June 1955, Winston Churchill, who was then near the end of his life, he was asked to give a commencement address at the British University. At this time, he was physically ill. He actually had to be helped to the podium. And as he held on to it, he stood there with his head down for a long time. But then he finally raised it up. And the voice that years before had called Britain from the brink of destruction sounded publicly for the last time in history. And what did he say? Never give in. Never give in. Never, never Never. And with that, Churchill went back to his seat. I'm told there was silence. And then, as if one person, the whole audience rose to applaud him because he was a man whose life and words matched each other. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I press, I press, press toward the mark, being like Christ. If he's not working through you to touch others, then he must be working in you. We are to press toward the mark. Aristotle said, like the archers, we shall stand a far better chance of hitting the target if we can see it. Folks, what's the target? Better yet, who is the target? 
And the target is Jesus Christ. Christ-likeness. Christ in you. Oh, to be like him. To follow what he says. To do his least command. To go and to grow. That's the Great Commission in a nutshell, isn't it? Go and grow. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Teach them the word of God. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, Christ Jesus. What's the prize? Paul says there is a reward for faithful service to Christ. What better way to show and demonstrate your love for Jesus Christ, for what he has done for you, than to be able, at the judgment seat of Christ, to be able to say, Jesus, I love you so much. I thank you so much for saving my soul, for all the blessings you brought into my life. I, I know it's not much, but I place crowns at your feet to show my gratitude, my love for all you've done for me. Or will you stand there empty-handed? The Apostle Paul challenged us. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, and bad there is worthless, and sin is the most worthless, worthless thing we can do. John wrote, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, we have earned, but that we receive a full reward. It's possible to have a full reward. It's possible to have half a reward or no reward. Resolutions for 2022. You know, I didn't give them, give them to you today because I think it's best that you write your resolutions for 2022. You write it down. What about your health goals? What about your spiritual growth goals? Uh, what about your service to Christ goals? What about your relationship with God and church and family? Let's take some time. Let's, let's press toward the mark. Let's be like Christ. Because one day, if the Lord doesn't come back, uh, the eulogy will be read about your life. And it won't be what you've done that's important. It's who you are, your relationship to God and to others. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for our time to worship you together today. It is your day. It is the Lord's day. And I pray now that we will take a few moments and jot a few things down, and we would say with James, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Father, help us to make the goals, the resolutions that you would have for us. And now with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, if you're here listening to, to the word of God and you're not certain that heaven is your home, what a great way to start the year off by receiving Christ as your Savior. If you sense the Spirit of God tapping on your heart, would you, would you respond and receive Christ today? How do you do that? You call upon the name of the Lord. Would you pray with me now? In this invitation prayer, pray with me now. Call upon the Lord to be your Savior. That 2022 will be, well, the greatest year you've ever had because Christ will be with you. Pray with me now from your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me and rose again. I trust in him and him alone. I receive 
Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. In Jesus' name I pray. And in Acts chapter 9 this evening, Acts chapter 9. We are in a series entitled First Century Faith for the 21st Century. Acts chapter 9 this evening. This is an exciting chapter. It's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Acts. Glad to be able to turn back to it tonight. This chapter opens with the fierce persecution by, led by Saul of Tarsus. But God had a change of plans for Saul, didn't he? In the middle of his trip to Damascus, God saves him. Where at? Right in the middle of the road. And he and his entourage continue on to Damascus. But Saul was blinded after being able to see the Lord Jesus in the sky for three days until God sent Ananias to go to him. And he prayed for him, and Saul was healed, and he then followed Christ and believers' baptism. We find that in verse 18. What did he do as a new convert? Brand new Christian. Look with me in Acts 9, verse 20. Right after he is baptized, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Well, this happy ending without trials does not last very long, did it? Uh, most scholars believe that between verse 22 and 23 of Acts 9, this is the period that, that Saul spent three years in Arabia because of what we find written in Galatians 1, 17 and 18. Paul wrote, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So the chronology here of Saul's life is, is he gets saved on the road to Damascus from Israel. He becomes a Christian. He's blind for three days. Ananias prays for him. He is healed. He gets baptized. He preaches Christ. According to Galatians 1, he goes into Arabia, not the modern-day Arabia, but different, and he is taught by Christ. He returns uh, to Damascus, and then he goes up to Jerusalem. What did Saul do in Arabia? Uh, well, he was taught by Christ, and he preached Christ, and we're going to see that he escaped death. Many have this idea that, that he went three years into the desert in solitude, something like a monk. Not true at all. He preached in Arabia while he was learning. The best kind of training includes serving. O-J-T, on-the-job training. When the Lord Jesus sent out his disciples, not just the 12, but the 70, two by two, uh, he, they came back and said, Master, we, we, we cast out demons, but some we could not cast out. And he taught them that this goeth not up but by prayer and fasting. And so the best way to, to learn is to learn and serve at the same time. And so we find he taught Christ, taught by Christ, he was preaching Christ, and then also the disciples have a creative rescue plan to save Saul. And so what happened is uh, the city wall was, uh, was uh, guarded, and there was a plan to be able to get Saul and kill him. 
And they were guarding it. They were ready to jump Saul at the gate and to kill him. But one of the Christians had a home that was built into the wall. Now, that was common. That was common to be able to have wide walls with houses or apartments inside them. Remember Rahab's house there in Jericho, uh, how, how she put the, uh, the red scarlet cord out, which uh, protected her house, a symbol of Christ. Well, this Christian had a window in the wall, just like Rahab. They also had a basket. They had a big basket. And so they were able to let uh, Saul of Tarsus down to safety. My message title for this passage is Overcoming Fears, Overcoming Worries, and Overcoming Sorrow. Would you please stand with me as we pick up the story once again, Acts chapter 9, and we pick it up in verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he attempted to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, that, knew they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were, they, the churches were multiplied. May we pray. Lord, thank you tonight that as you worked in the first century, that you will work in the 21st century. May we be like these believers who in the face of persecution, in the face of trials, in the face of sorrow, did not quit, but continued to to pray to you and rest in you and serve you. And may that be our desire tonight, allowing the word of God to impact us, to strengthen us for this coming year. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. I find that this message tonight is a timely message for us to consider with what is going on in the country the Omicron surge is dominating the news. It has once again rattled many in the country with fear and with worry, even though we are being told that it brings on a milder illness. And that news is little consolation to those who have lost loved ones recently, both in the church and those that are family members of our church members. And as Christians, we're reminded that love God's love, perfect love, casts out the fear in our hearts, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And as Christians, we know we are in God's hand, in God's protection. What is the worst thing that can happen to us? You say, death. What is the best thing that can happen to us? Death. We are in a win-win situation. 
we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. And so, so yes, yes, we do sorrow at the loss of loved ones, but we do not sorrow as the unsaved. We have God's promises to be reunited with our saved loved ones. So once Saul escapes this attempt on his life, he now makes the journey to Jerusalem to see the apostles. I can only imagine that instruction came from the Lord to go and see the apostles. But he arrives and finds they are afraid of him. Verse 26, in verse 26, we read, When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. It, it was something like back when, uh, back when salesmen used to come and knock on the door. You remember that? A salesman used to come and knock the door, and uh, this one particular day, this, this salesman is there, and he knocks on the door. A little boy comes to the door, and he says, yes, sir, and, and the salesman says, hey, little fella, would you go and uh, ask your daddy to come to the door? And so he leaves the door open. He leaves, and he walks back, and he finds his dad and tells him there's a man at the door. He wants to see you, and dad gives him some instructions, and then so he goes back. And he goes back and he sees the man and he says to him, he says, my daddy says he's not home. Okay? <laughs> That's what the apostles did. They sent the ladies to the door. Saul is knocking on the door and the ladies say, they say they're not home. Uh, so he tried and he tried again and he tried again and they do not want to see him. Why are they afraid of Saul of Tarsus? Well, we're told in verse 26. The Bible says, because they believed not that he was a disciple. So if they don't believe he is a disciple, what do they believe about Saul of Tarsus? That he's not a disciple. What else do you think is going on here? because we're supposed to witness to lost people. So it must be something a little more deeper than just thinking he's not saved. What do they think? A spy. A wolf in sheep's clothing. He claims to be a disciple. Hey, hey didn't Jesus warn in his teachings about wolves that will come in sheep's clothing? Oh, yeah. And so they can remember, they probably remember where they were when Jesus told them to beware of the wolves. And now they have one right at their door, knocking on the door. They thought this visit is a trap. Saul has a horrible reputation. At least he did three years ago. It's been three years since Saul has persecuted Christians. Man, oh man, what a reputation he had as a, terror, a terrorist terrorizing the church. Back in Acts chapter 8, he wreaked havoc of the church, breathing out threatenings and slaughters is what chapter, uh, chapter 9 verses 1 and 2 tells us. And his reputation has stuck with him for three years. They're not buying it. They're not going to risk their lives of, of sharing the gospel with others because of this wolf. How can we overcome fear? Well, we can overcome fear with a friend. We can overcome fear with a friend. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, how he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now, we remember Barnabas. Remember Barnabas in Acts chapter 4? That's not really his name. What, what is his given name? His name was Joseph. Joseph. Barnabas is a nickname that they gave to him because he is so kind, he is so sacrificial, he is so generous, he is so caring. Remember when, when you have all these Christians, that, these new Christians that were from out of town and they needed money, what did he do? He sold his land. He said, we have an offering at church to help care for these, these uh, new Christians. He sold his land, and he brought the money to be distributed by the apostles to these people in need. And you know what? They said, you're like, you're, like, you're, you're just a great guy. You're such a great friend. You are an encourager. And they named him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Everyone needs a friend like Barnabas. And every one of us need to be a Barnabas to someone else, especially when we're fe fearful, especially when we're worried or in sorrow. So Barnabas showed Christian love to Saul. He believed his salvation story was real, and he had enough influence and enough trust with the apostles that he convinced them to receive Saul in fellowship. And so he put his arm around him, and he said, I will introduce you to the apostles. And so he takes him, and he knocks on the door, and the ladies open the door, and they see Barnabas, and they see Saul. He said, okay, Barnabas we trust. And so they let them in. Now, back in Galatians 1, we were told that they were there for 15 days. For 15 days. The, the, the apostles received Saul in fellowship. And so we find in verse 28 what happened. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. What a, what a time of, of instruction and fellowship that must have been. I can only imagine the questions that Saul had. Now tell me, tell me about the time when you were in the boat and the storm came. Tell me about the time, Peter, when you walked in the water. Tell me about the time when, when you had that little boy's lunch and, and, and 5,000 men and 5,000 women and 15,000 children were fed. And tell me about the time that, that he was in Bethany and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And, and I'm sure they had some wonderful conversations. It's kind of like what's going to happen in heaven. Aren't you going to want to talk to people and say, tell me about that experience you had. Jonah, what was it like being in the belly of that whale? And all these different stories uh, to be able to catch up on. And they fellowship together. Now verse 29, persecution comes again. And he, Saul, spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. Now comes persecution. Grecians, remember that name? Grecians, who are they? They're the Hellenistic Jews. They are the, the Greek culture Jews. Now remember, there are some 400 different synagogues in Jerusalem. And so as people would come, the men would come from all over the Roman Empire, three times a year required worship, and they would come. They would segregate into their particular language, 
geographical location, synagogue. And so the last man, do you remember the last man to preach Christ to the Hellenistic Jews? Who was that? That was Stephen. That was Stephen. So Saul picks right up where Stephen left off. Remember, he's only in Jerusalem for 15 days, and that's all it took. Look at the end of verse 29. But they went about to slay him. Their blood, thirsty, heart against Christians has not changed. And so when they heard Saul preach Christ, they want to kill him. And so in verse 30, which when the brethren knew, knew this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. They were built up, walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. Now it says they went up to Caesarea or, or uh, uh, went down to Caesarea because when you're in Jerusalem, you're always up because Jerusalem's up high. And so even though they're going up north, you're coming, you're coming down. And so the apostles heard this news. You need to get out of town. You need to let things cool down. It's a time of rest for many of the churches all over Israel. From this point, the spotlight of Scripture is going to go back on to Peter. The next time we will meet Saul of Tarsus is going to be Acts 13, where he is serving the Lord. He's a leader of the church in Antioch. And guess who he is serving with? He's serving with Barnabas. So if you want to overcome fear, find a godly friend. Ask your friend to pray with you. Ask your friend to hold you accountable for not feeding your fears. Ask your friend to make sure that you are feeding and growing your faith. And that brings us to the next thought here. We overcome fear with a friend, and we overcome worry with faith. We overcome worry with faith. Now, we haven't seen Peter since chapter 8, verse 25. Do you remember he went to Samaria? Uh, there he preached Christ. And the Bible says, as he left Samaria, he preached in many other villages. He's not sitting still. He's still serving the Lord. And so in verse 32, it came to pass, as Peter passed Throughout all the quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. Peter is an itinerant preacher. He's going from town to town. He comes to Lydda. Lydda is it's mostly a Gentile city. It's about 25 miles from Jerusalem, and that would be going, going west. Peter finds some Christians here. Philip has been uh, through here before preaching Christ. So there's Christians, there's a church, the Christians that fled from Jerusalem when Saul was persecuting in Acts chapter 8. Today, Israel's international airport is just north of this, this city. And today it is called Lod, L-O-D. And so Peter meets Aeneas in verse 33. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years, and he was sick of the palsy. Peter meets Aeneas. This man's been crippled for eight years. Talk about a worry. He felt like a burden to his family. He felt like a burden to his friends. He felt like a burden to his church. By himself, he is helpless. Watch what happens in verse 34. Peter said unto Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. 
Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Peter heals him. Hey, do you remember back there early in the book of Acts when Peter and John were walking into the temple and this man is begging and, and he says, can you give me some money? And, and what does Peter say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise up and walk. And, and it was a great miracle there on the steps of the gate of the temple. And, and so Peter's first miracle that God used him was to heal a crippled man. And now we see it repeated again here in Acts uh, chapter 9. Verse 34, Peter heals him. It is a great day of rejoicing. Uh, notice, notice verse 35. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. The gospel spreads. Remember, the New Testament has not yet been written. So God is confirming his message and his messengers with special signs. And those signs include healing and raising the dead and speaking in a foreign language. And if they were, 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 were given poison or if they were uh, bitten by a, a serpent, that they would survive. And so this is a confirming sign. It's called the signs of the apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Now, for you to hear and receive the word of God, I, I don't need to perform a miraculous sign. I need to say, open the Bible to, and we turn to the word of God. The authority is not from Scott Wendell. The authority is not from a, an associate pastor or a Bible teacher. The authority is God's written word. And he confirmed it with these signs until it was written down. Now, if you're wrestling with the worry, that just won't go away, especially in this season. Take some steps to help you to be an overcomer. What do you do? You memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture, like Philippians 4, uh, 4 to 9, where the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be fearful, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Uh, chapter 4, verse 8, the things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, think on these things. The things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. God of peace, the God of peace shall be with you. And so the first step is get God's word in your heart and your mind. Secondly, in prayer, give your worry to God. I mean, just say it out loud. Uh, casting all your care, your worry upon him, for he cares for you. So you learn God's word, uh, you let God speak to you, then you speak to God, and you just, you give it to God. You give it to God and you leave it with him. You fill your mind with Christian music, Ephesians 5, 19. Wasn't the choir a blessing today? Love that song. Love our choir and orchestra. And uh, it was great to be able to, uh, to have and share that. Start serving others through church. You get your mind off yourself when you help other people. And that's, 
being an usher, being in the choir, being in the orchestra, being in the nursery, being a teacher, being a servant, saying, I want to help. Uh, maybe it's the Extra Mile Project. So many going through surgeries, going through different difficulties, and, and ladies, many of you do this, and you're a blessing to so many, sending cards, and you pray for that person. And then count your blessings, James 1.17. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. You know, right now, someone somewhere has it worse than you do. Someone somewhere has it worse than you do. And so you can grow a grateful heart. So we can overcome fear with a friend. We can overcome worry with faith. And one more, we can overcome sorrow with hope. We can overcome sorrow with hope. Now, nearby is a faithful church in the town of Joppa, and they just lost a dear, faithful servant named Tabitha, who also is called Dorcas. And they, they love this lady. They are in sorrow. They are in mourning. Watch what happens. We pick it up in verse 36. Now, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, this woman was full of good works, alms deeds, which she did. It came to pass in those days that she was sick, and she died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, remember Lydda is where, where Peter is, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to be with them. Verse 39, Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the windows, the widows, stood by him weeping and showing the coats and the garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. I don't think Peter was planning on going to Joppa, but he is willing to be interrupted. He's willing to be flexible to God's divine interruptions. Do you know where Peter learned to be flexible? Where Peter learned to let God's divine interruptions come into your life? Who did he learn that from? The Lord Jesus. How many times was Jesus teaching or Jesus is walking to a particular place and, and someone comes along and says, Jesus, help me, my son is sick. Jesus, help me, my daughter is dead. Jesus, help me, my servant has died. Jesus, help me. And he gets interrupted. And I, I, I see Peter accepting that lesson of learning divine interruptions. Jesus didn't say, sorry, can't help. Not on my schedule, not on my to-do list today. No, no. Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus was a servant, and his example of servanthood is one that we should all follow. That's who we are. We're called servants of God, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dulas, called to help others, and the greatest help that we can bring to others is to take them from spiritual darkness, bring them to God's wonderful light of salvation. So look at the hope Peter brought to them, verse 40. Verse 40. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes 
And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Many came to Christ in Joppa as they heard this news of God's power. Dorcas's friends and family and church family, they had to go through this time of sorrow. God led them through this time of sorrow so God could fulfill his purpose in this town. What is his purpose? To bring many to Christ. And they overcame sorrow with hope. Now, the death of every Christian is not followed with an apostle showing up and raising them back to life. In fact, it only happened a couple of times. But every Christian is going to have a resurrection. Every Christian is going to experience a resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so it is, we are raised spiritually at salvation, but our bodies are physically and literally going to be resurrected. How do we overcome the sorrow of death and the loss of loved ones? With hope. With hope. The hope of the resurrection. The hope of being reunited with loved ones. The promise that our loved ones who are saved are alive they are conscious, they are awake, they have memory, and they look forward to that moment when we shall be reunited together. They are out of pain. I, I kind of feel pity for the unsaved. Uh, they don't have spiritual friends uh, to help them through their fears. They don't have faith in Christ uh, to help them through their worries. They don't, certainly don't have any real hope in this life or the next until they get saved makes you want to kind of share what you have with them. To plant some seeds, to give an invitation. Right now, many in our world are fearful. They are worried. They are sorrowing without hope. Let's go. Let's go plant some seeds this week. Let's take the come and see cards with us. Let's pass them out. Now notice what happens, how the chapter ends. Verse 43. It came to pass that as he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. God has sovereignly placed Peter in the right town for the next great event of Christianity. Don't miss it. Next week, Acts chapter 10. And God is helping Peter to come along. A tanner is someone who takes, takes animal skins to be able to make a clothing out of that. Uh, and I want you to know that God is helping Peter to get to the place where he can accept a Gentile into the church of Jesus Christ. God positions Peter right where he needs to be for the next step in the gospel. God has positioned you and I exactly where he wants us to be his light this week. Don't miss the opportunities. Think of yourself as an ambassador you're representing the lord i was listening to christian radio today and and uh, some some pastor on the radio don't know who and he said there are two words for ambassador in the greek language and one word is for an ambassador of a friendly country 
like Canada. He said, wouldn't you like to be a, an ambassador in Canada? But he said, there's another word for ambassador, and that is for an ambassador in a hostile territory. And he gave the examples of like Syria, like Russia. He said, there are some countries in the world where the ambassador does not drive around with the American flags flying on his car because they would throw stones or shoot bullets at them. And then this pastor said, guess which word God chose to describe us as ambassadors, the ambassador to the friendly country or the ambassador going to a hostile country? The hostile country. We are in a hostile world, hostile to Jesus Christ, but we are ambassadors with all the authority and all the power of our king. So let's not be fearful. Let's not be afraid. Let's be confident, God confidence, as we share the good news with others. Lord, thank you for our time to be in your house. Thank you for the blessing of Saul of Tarsus, Barnabas, and Peter following you, living for Christ. And I pray tonight that we would consider that we are exactly, we are exactly where you want us to be right now. You will bring us in, 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 in contact with the people that you want us to encourage in the faith or to be able to invite to come to you in salvation or to come to you to church, in discipleship, whatever it might be. God, use us. Teach us to overcome worry and fear and sorrow because we are in Christ. Heads about, eyes are closed. Tonight, if you're being challenged with one of these areas, one of these issues, would you come to the Lord tonight, give your worry, your fear, your sorrow, ask God to bring healing to you. Or if you know of someone and they're walking through a season of worry or fear or sorrow, ask God to make you a Barnabas, a caring friend, a son, a daughter of encouragement. It might be as simple as sending a text. It might be a phone call. It might be a note, a card, a prayer. And then you let them know that you prayed for them. God, would you use us? If there be one listening online, then you're not sure if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. He said you must be born again. We want to help you take that step of faith, that commitment to be born again into God's forever family. In Jesus' name we pray.